Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today you'd like to hear more about, make sure to listen to our weekly podcast called Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take Sunday topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen, church. Man, I think that is a message that we need to hear for sure. I'm so thankful for this team. Let's just let them hear it again for just their creativity and bringing a message to us. You know, it's really, really interesting how God works. You know, a couple months ago when we were sitting down, we're talking about the beginning of the year and we're saying, you know, what should we teach through? Like, what should we talk through? And we just came up with this idea of this series, Don't Freak Out, Finding Certainty in an uncertain world. And if you've been following the news at all, like this last week, certainty just kind of blew up for the world, right? It just did. And there's all kinds of things going on. It's interesting also to me, not only did we say, that, or God say that I want you to be talking about this in this moment, um, our team sat there and said, man, we, if we wrote a song that we would play on the third week of this series where Sean's talking about praying for peace and, and this idea of peace in our lives, what would that be? When the world is uncertain, man, God is not. God is faithful. And I think that is a message that we need. And maybe because God's even been thinking about those little things in our life of just what we're gonna talk about in this little place right here. Maybe in your life, he's got something for you to hear today. Maybe it's not just that song. Maybe it's not just this message. Maybe there's something that he cares about in your life today that he's saying, I want you to hear this. So I say we just kind of lean in today. Now I do want to, before we jump in, I do just want to talk about the Ukraine stuff and Russia and the invasion there. That is a big deal. We do have missionaries that um, are not in Ukraine, uh, but they're in Hungary and they've been receiving already, receiving um, refugees that have been coming in, Gabor and, and Tundi, they've been here to this campus and, and uh, we've been supporting them for many years and we do need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for their teams. We need to be praying for the Christians in Ukraine. We need to be praying for the Ukrainian people. I know numerous missionaries that have been there in the past or are there right now. And uh, we need to be praying for those things. And I love the line in that song that just talks about God overcomes. He overcomes evil. All the things that we see in this world, we need to be praying for those things because God works um, in those moments. It's interesting we start off with a, um, a verse in the last two weeks of this series, Romans 8, 28, that says that God works all things. Like all things, all things in our world, all things in your life, all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we just need to, re to be reminded this morning, no matter what's going on in our world, God is still doing good things. He is still in control. And I think we need to be praying for those people today. So let's just take a moment right now, if you just reach out your hands and open them up and let's just pray for the Ukrainian people and what's going on there today. Father, we just want to lift up um, our friends uh, Gabor and, and Tundi and their teams. Father, the people that they're receiving, the refugees that are coming in. Father, I know that they are just, just one organization of thousands that are trying to help in this moment. And Father, we do want to pray for peace. And we do want to pray that your hand, we know your hand is in this, but I pray that you would even turn your people towards you. You would turn people that don't know you towards you in this moment. And Father, I pray that we who are removed far away from this, what's going on, I, Father, I pray that we would be in prayer, that we would help, we would be generous. And Father, we would just keep in mind that in the midst of uncertainty, that you are certain. So Father, we give that situation to you and we just ask for your peace and for your grace. Um, to be upon it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
I want you to get both campuses. It's great to have the Niwak campus. You join us live, all of you online, all of you here at Fred. I want you to get your Bibles, whether it be online with your phones or, or your Bible. And I want you to get to Philippians chapter four. Love the verse that we're gonna study today. We've been in a series, um, and I said it already, we've been in this series called Don't Freak Out. Finding certainty in an uncertain world. And there's a couple things. If you're kind of new to Rocky, maybe you just, you've been a part of our new basketball program and what we're doing. You said, hey, I'm gonna go check out that place. And you walked in the doors at either one of our campuses today and haven't been a part of that series. There's some things you need to grasp and understand about what we've talked about so far about certainty and uncertainty. This whole idea of, of it is possible to actually find certainty in an uncertain world if we put our faith and our hope in something that is strong and something that is certain. We've talked about these ideas at the very beginning. We just said the idea that when we think about what God is doing, God does his best work. Catch this again. If you haven't been here in the last two weeks, God does his best work in times of uncertainty. Let me ask you this, just a show of hands, just to kind of help us start off with this. How many of you found God, reconnected with God, maybe started praying again, maybe started just kind of connecting with church and God's people or something in a spiritual realm in a time of major uncertainty in your life. Raise your hand. The last service, same thing. Like half of the crowd raises their hand. Now what? Same thing. Half the crowd raises their hand because that's just what happens. We become more in tuned with God in those moments where things are kind of uncertain. In good times, man, nobody just looks up. Everybody's looking around at what's going on in their life. But in difficult times, in uncertain times, we have this tendency to say, hey, God, help out. Like we need you. Not only does he do his best work in times of uncertainty, God teaches us some of the best lessons in our life in the biggest times of uncertainty. Now, there are big stories we could tell about this. You have big stories. I'll give you one little one. It's a small one. It has to do with some things we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. It's, it's that basketball program that we run here upward. I've got a third and fourth grade team. And you've probably heard, you've probably heard Matt talk about how they pulled off their first win. So Matt, our campus pastor here, pulled off their first win. He said that, you guys all cheered. Amanda, no, don't cheer again, all right? It's all good. I'm not to the punchline of the story yet. Amanda, our campus pastor at Niwot, I think she's only lost one game. So you guys can cheer for her about that. I might fire her if she keeps rubbing that in. I don't know. So, because my team, my third and fourth grade team is still defeated. We got a big zero in, in the win column. Like we've been working on this and we're learning. But here was my leadership moment with my guys last week. We get done with practice and there's always a little leadership moment where we sit down and talk with them. And, and these guys are so fun. I love this group of kids and they want to win so bad. I mean, we get off the floor and we lose a game and they're just like lips are quivering, their tears are coming. And it's like, we just lost the NBA championship. I mean, it's a big deal for them, right? Well, well, we, we get done and, and we haven't won a game. So we, Thursday night, I sit down with them. I'm like, guys, this is what I'm preaching about Sunday. And their eyes like glaze over. Great, how long is you know, coach gonna talk here? And, and so I just say, guys, here's the deal, man. We learn the most things about life. Like we actually learn the most and grow the most in times of adversity. And you guys just raise your hand and you like affirm that. Reconnect with God, learn great lessons during times of adversity. And so I said to these guys, I said, guys, look, we're learning all kinds of lessons. Like, cause we're losing games. So every time we come to practice, we're like, we gotta learn something new. We gotta work on the press break. We gotta work on the pick and roll. We gotta work on, work on help defense. We're learning something every time. And I laugh because it's like blowing these third grade minds. <laughs> They're like, I don't think we can shove anything else in there in the game. They're like, just 
whoa, this is crazy. And then I said to him, I said, guys, the teams that are winning, they're learning nothing. Like there's no reason that they got, they're like, we're playing, we're playing the Spartan next, Spartans next week. We, don't, we beat them by 15 last week, you know? They're not, ha- but guys, for us, we're learning something every single week. You know what's gonna happen? We're learning something that's making us better as basketball players. You're getting better every single week. And last week we lost by six, right? This week, what are we gonna do? We're gonna come in there and guys, we're gonna get a win. And this weekend we went out there and we lost again. We did. But we lost by two. We lost by two. We lost by two to a team that we lost by 12 before two. We lost by two, right? And we had three offensive rebounds in the last 10 seconds to put the game, like tie the game and go into overtime. But we missed them. We missed them. But here's the deal. You know this to be true. It's not just third and fourth grade basketball. In times of life, when we are beaten up by life, when things are uncertain, if we will be patient and we will listen and we will reflect, you usually get two months down the road, six months down the road, a year down the road, sometimes in big things, it's like two years down the road and you look back and you would say, some of us would say, man, I would trade that moment. I would get rid of that moment. I would do it differently. But every one of us would say, I learned a lot in that moment. Because what God does is God does some of his best work in times of uncertainty and he teaches us some of the best lessons in life in times of uncertainty. Romans 8, 28, God works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is always working behind the scenes for our good. He's working on our behalf, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. Most of us sit there and they're saying, Sean, you can stand up there and you can say, trust God, pray, uh, follow God, and everything's gonna be all right. If I say that to you this morning, most of you will look at me and say, I don't like that answer. Trust God and everything's gonna be okay. I don't like that answer. And here's why you don't like that answer. And I understand. You don't like that answer because you realize even when you look at scripture and you look at the stories of Moses and and Joseph and Esther and so many different, whether you know those stories or not, what you know about life is God doesn't work on our timetable, does he? Like I got a calendar and I'm like, God, at nine o'clock, I'm having that meeting. I want you to show up and do this thing in that moment. Like if you would do that, that would be awesome. So that's what I'm gonna pray. I expect you to show up. God's not like our kids. (laughs) where we expect him to show up. And God has a different plan. And a lot of times God's on a different timetable. And a lot of times God is saying, you want this to happen, but I actually have something so much bigger that I want to do, but it's gonna cause you to wait a lot longer. And so the question becomes, what do we do in that moment? Like, what do we do in the dark moment where we're saying, I don't even know if he's listening. I don't know if he's actually working behind the scenes. I don't know if my prayers are actually doing anything to help with this situation. What do you do in that moment? Philippians chapter four, we're gonna dive in, but here's what you need to know about Philippians four. And we're gonna get to a couple things and then one big thing at the end. Here's what you need to understand. If I stand up here and say the things that you're gonna hear in Philippians chapter four, starting at verse four, and then verse five, then verse six and seven, if I say those things with no context of it, you're gonna look at me and say, what are you smoking? Like that is just not how life works, Sean. Just pray and everything's gonna be better. 
Here's what you need to understand. Don't listen to me today on this. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Because we have a tendency to listen to people that come from a context where they understand uncertainty. Or they experience, when, when you've run into somebody that experienced life and experienced difficulty in life and been beat up and they come out and say, hey, you're in the middle of your thing, but hey, I was in the middle of my thing and I, I got through and you're gonna get through. You listen to those people. The people you don't listen to are the ones that walk up and say, dude, I know exactly what you're feeling. You're like, really? Like what happened? Yeah, my, you know, I took the dog to the vet last week and it was a rough week. And you're like, oh, that was a rough week. Great. I'm going through grief, loss, death, cancer, whatever. The Apostle Paul, let me give you the context. Philippians chapter four, he is writing to the Philippian church as a church in Philippi. A lot of the New Testament books, which you need to understand, was that Paul, who wrote 13 of those books, he was a missionary. What these books are is they're not books, they're letters. And so what Paul is doing, he's writing to one of the very first churches that he planted. And he's saying, here's what you need to understand. Now understand who the apostle Paul is. If you don't have any context on him, he was one of the religious elite. So he was actually against Jesus. He was against anyone who supported Jesus. He actually would get warrants for people's arrest that were followers of Jesus. And he would go take them, he would put them in jail and he would have them killed. There's a guy named Stephen in Acts chapter seven and eight. Um, Acts chapter seven, he actually is one who stands up to this group called the Pharisees that Paul is a part of. Elite religious leaders, they were um, leaders in the law. So we have laws, they had religious law that their whole society was built upon. So Paul grew up understanding that, he grew up studying about that. He was one of the highest in, uh, in basically the Pharisaical like sect of things. And uh, Stephen walks in and he says, no, you're wrong. All that stuff about sacrifice, all that stuff about going to the temple, having to sacrifice every time you sin, having to sacrifice an animal so that sin is forgiven. He said, that's wrong. That's the old way. Jesus came and sacrificed himself once and for all on the cross. We don't have to sacrifice anymore. He made it the opportunity available for us. And you need to understand this. If you don't understand this, you need to understand this. He made the opportunity available. He said, I will sacrifice myself. I will pay the punishment for your sin. I'll go to the cross and die. But he didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And Paul said, sacrifice is done. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that matters from here on out. And the Pharisees freaked out. Like Paul had come to this understanding. Like he had been one who had killed Stephen like was Stephen was one of the greatest leaders. He oversaw his execution. Then all of a sudden Jesus appears to Paul in a vision and Paul realizes, oh my goodness, that whole thing of Jesus being the Christ, the one who died and rose again, it's actually true. So he flips around his whole life and becomes a missionary. He plants all of these churches and he starts going around saying, what you believed in the past, it's not right. There's more to the story. Jesus has come. And the Pharisees flipped on Paul like Paul had flipped on Stephen. And so they take Paul, who's planted all these churches, who's one of the greatest missionaries of all time, they take Paul and they throw him in jail. They throw him in jail and, and they have him flogged and whipped. He was even at one point, he was stoned outside the city. They threw stones at him. They brought him back in, he was, he was flogged. And, and this guy, he's, I mean, Paul was like almost impossible to kill. You're stoned, you're flogged, all this stuff. He doesn't die. Uh, he's in prison and he looks at the, uh, the uh, jailer in prison and he says to him, he says, I appeal to Caesar. And the guy looks at him, he's like, how do you, a Jew, 
who's under Roman rule. You're a slave to Rome, a slave to us. How do you appeal to Caesar? Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. He had dual citizenship. Because his family, where they grew up, where they lived, where they bought their citizenship or were born into it, he had citizenship as a Roman citizen. And so here's what they understood. We have flogged, we have beaten, we have stoned this guy. And all of a sudden they're realizing he's a Roman citizen. He basically has a right to a trial. And not just a right to a trial, he just appealed to Caesar, which is like our Supreme Court, that's the emperor of Rome. Paul went to Festus, Paul went to Herod, he went kind of up the chain. And they're saying, now we have to send this guy to Rome to stand before Caesar. So the context goes, is that they threw Paul on a ship. Paul gets on that ship, he goes out, he's two weeks out on the ship and basically runs into a huge massive hurricane. They're lost at sea, they have no idea where they are for two weeks. So the guy's been stoned, he's been whipped, he's been thrown in prison, now he is shipwrecked, he lands on an island, he gets onto the island, they make a fire, a serpent comes out, a poisonous snake bites him immediately. He's stuck on the island, shipwrecked for three months. Then they get him all the way to Rome, he finally lands in Rome, and it takes over two years for the trial to actually happen. Paul sits in house arrest, chained between two soldiers, 24 hours a day for two years. You want to talk about uncertainty. Some of us walk in and say, Sean, I don't think you have any understanding of what's going on in my life and what I'm experiencing. I may not. Paul did. Like you may have and I may not have any understanding of what Paul has actually experienced. If there's any guy who is like one who can say, let me tell you about uncertainty and how we should respond, it's the apostle Paul. Now story goes on, we don't know exactly how Paul died, but we do know that, that history says, or legend says that what they did is he was tried and then they walked him outside of the city and they chopped off his head. So it didn't even turn out the way Paul wanted it to turn out. But in the midst of all of that, Paul writes this, this is the context, Philippians chapter four, verse four. This is the context in which Paul writes and says to us what we should understand about uncertainty. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let me read it again. Again, Paul, what are you smoking, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Here's the idea of rejoice. In the Greek language, which the New Testament is written in, ancient New Testament is written in this, in the Greek language, rejoice is the idea to be in a state of happiness because you have a confident sense of well-being. It is the idea, you're confident in your life, in your well-being, in your faith, in something greater than you. And because of that, you have joy and you're glad. Now, here's where I was saying, if you don't know the context of who the apostle Paul is and what he says, and then you don't understand some of this passage, you'll say, dude, put the Bible down, put the phone down, I'm out of here. Like, honestly, if I just sit here and if it says, if scripture says right there, Philippians 4, 4, if it says rejoice always, again, I say rejoice. You're like, no way. That's not life. Does anybody's life work out that way? right? Where you rejoice always. No, my life's not like that. Your life is not like that. But Paul, what he does is he inserts three words. Rejoice always is not what it says. It says rejoice what? In the Lord always. 
Paul is saying in the midst of his circumstances, he's writing from a prison. He has seen all the things that he has gone through, but he's seeing that God is doing something great. Paul even said back earlier in the New Testament, he said, my desire is to go all the way to the top. My desire is to go to Rome. Like Paul was intentional. He said, I appeal to Caesar not to save his own rear. <laughs> he appealed to Caesar to go stand before the emperor of the world, the emperor of the known world, and say, let me tell you about Jesus. 300 years after Paul died, Rome declared Christianity as a national religion. You can't tell me God's not doing something bigger in your life. And you can't tell me that the apostle Paul didn't sit there and say, man, rejoice in the Lord always because God is doing something bigger. Now, put this in context for you and me. What does it mean? Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, how about we insert some different words? Like Greek language, when it says rejoice in the Lord, here's exactly what it's saying. Ladies, think of it this way. You remember when he planned out he surprised you and he showed up and he got on one knee and he asked you to marry him. Do you remember when, you, when, you, when that happened? I, this guy over here just looked and said, you do remember that, right? Yeah, so anyway, you remember that. And it's like, it was a moment. And what did you do? And he had flowers and he had the whole nine yards. And if he really surprised you and really went to that effort, you walked out and you went home and said, he asked. Like he asked and you rejoiced in that moment and you rejoiced with whoever your lady friends were or your mom or your sisters or whatever. And you're like, he asked me and I said, yes, you were expecting it to come, but he surprised you in the moment. Students, it's like when you get the phone call that says, you got the scholarship. You're an athlete, they're saying, we're recruiting you. You're, you're a musician, they're saying, we want you to come to our school. Full ride scholarship for your talents. Academically, you got a scholarship. You got the letter that said, you're in. You show that to your parents. You said, I got the scholarship. It's like, guys, when you come home and you're like, babe, got the raise, here it is. Or I got the bonus, we're going to Cabo, let's do it. That's it. And what Paul's saying is no matter what your circumstances are, Rejoice in the Lord always. Not just in some circumstances, but always. And what's really interesting is what Paul is saying is he's saying in the moment what you have to do because circumstances, this is so opposed to what Paul's circumstances were. This in the moment, you might look at me and say, say, rejoice always. I'm not saying rejoice always. He's saying rejoice in the Lord always. You may say, this is so, Sean, that, that idea is so opposed to what my circumstances are right now. What Paul's saying is, is you need to rejoice. You need to be a part of things. You need to do some things in your life that will actually realign your emotions from what your circumstances are to what reality actually is because there is a reality that is actually bigger than this world. There's a reality that is actually bigger than this moment. And God is actively involved in that moment. He's actively involved in this moment for the next moment and the next moment and trying to provide for you and work for your good. And you've got to believe and you've got to rejoice that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And Paul's sitting in a jail saying, I rejoice because I've got something bigger at work. God is bigger and I don't know how it's gonna turn out, but I know it's gonna turn out. And you and I are sitting here because Paul was faithful to living out his calling and to rejoicing in the Lord. So understand this, that's why we sing. 
Like you come and we stand up and we stand at both campuses and we sing on Sunday mornings. Why? Because what we're doing is trying to remind ourselves of reality that we don't feel in the moment. We're reminding ourselves and we're singing truths, trying to take our emotions here and pull them away from our circumstances and realign them with something that is a true reality. And guys, I'm telling you, it works and it's good. Sunday mornings, I come to church and I'm different than you. This is, this is my opportunity to serve. This is my calling, but it's also my job. So there's a lot of other things that I'm thinking about on Sunday morning, but when I make it to that seat right over there or make it to that seat at Niwot and I'm sitting there for a song and a half or two and I'm able to sing, it's almost like you just feel the anxiety and the uncertainty just kind of rolled off and you're like, I'm being reminded of what's true. It's why we scream and yell and celebrate when somebody gets baptized because it's a reality that's beyond this world. Somebody has chosen to place their faith in Christ and have Jesus' sacrifice applied to them and we were reminded death, burial, resurrection, there is hope. It's why we get up in the mornings or why we should get up in the mornings and we rejoice in the Lord always by grabbing our Bible and sitting down and reading a little bit of his promises, sitting down and praying and saying, God, would you help me through my day today? It's why we do those things. Because here's the problem. Most of us spend 90% of our time thinking about the what ifs of life. The uncertainty and anxiety of life. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if we were actually to counterbalance some of that time with multi... You can't spend 90% of your day doing the opposite. But you can spend nine or 10 times a day. A scripture verse here. Maybe a podcast there. Maybe some worship music in the car. Making sure that you show up on a Sunday to be with other believers that can encourage you in your time of need. Showing up for Sunday morning and serving and being filled up because I gave part of my life for the sake of somebody else. Man, we rejoice in the Lord always when we actually apply some of our time to allowing God to realign our hearts towards something new. Rejoice, he goes on, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he says in verse five, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Now, stop right there for a second because here's what happens in our life. He, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And the context is uncertainty. Here's the problem. Gentleness means kindness. Our kindness is usually dependent upon our circumstances. And when life has been unkind to us, what do we do? We're usually unkind to other people. Like it shows up when you're driving to work. It shows up when you're in that early morning commute. It shows up when you're trying to get the kids in the freaking car and the kids won't do what they're supposed to do and they finally get in the car and you're angry at everybody. You're not angry at everybody because of that morning. You're usually angry at everybody because you're already stressed beyond your limits. And what Paul is saying is people will find out about you when the pressure is on and when the uncertainty is at its height, your character will show. And a lot of times what we do is we allow things that we can't control cause us to lose control on the people we love. And Jesus steps in and not just Paul. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Sometimes it feels like He's actually not near. He's not even here. But he says the reality is that he actually is. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. He doesn't say peacekeepers. 
He doesn't say people that disagree with everything so that there'll just be peace in the family, that they never bring anything up, never engage in any conflict. He doesn't say that. He says peacemakers. He says, blessed are those who do what it takes to make peace in the midst of conflict. In the uncertainty of your life, you all have it. Have your reactions been to those you love? And not just those that you're closest with, because those are the ones that are easiest to blow up on, the people we're with all the time. But how are your reactions at the job? How are your reactions in the neighborhood? How are your reactions in the family dinners with family that comes in from out of state and they're hanging out and we have different opinions and all those things? Are you a peacemaker? Are you gentle and are you kind? Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, not as far as it depends on that crazy relative, not as far as it depends on your your boss that is expecting way too much right now, not as far as it depends on somebody else, in as far as it depends on me, on what I can do, Live at peace with everything, everyone. Be gentle and be kind. And if you are not rejoicing in the Lord on a daily basis and finding moments to recharge yourself, it's going to come out on everybody else. Paul goes on. Next two verses is where the rubber meets the road. The next few verses are where it really gets down to where Paul says, hey, if you wanna know in times of uncertainty what you actually do, the next two verses are it. Here's what he says. He says, do not be anxious. Anxiety is the fear of a future that we can't control. A fear of a future that we don't know what's gonna happen. That's what anxiety is. So he's talking about fear of the future in uncertainty. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, Paul's sitting there, he said, don't be anxious. And you're going, Paul, come on, do you know what I'm going through? And he says, look at what I'm going through. Don't be anxious in any situation. There's levels of situations, but Paul's like taking the levels out and he's saying, don't be anxious in any situation. And here's where he goes. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me read it again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you know that those two verses right there are the most highlighted verses in the Bible. It's not John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's not Philippians 4.13, you see you have athletes have them on their shoes, shoes and eye black and all that. I can do all things. It's don't be anxious about anything. Statistics will actually say in the last 30 years that anxiety levels, stress levels, but anxiety levels, fear of the future have gone up 1200%. 1,200%, and that doesn't even include the last two years. I can't imagine what it would be in the last two years and all the uncertainty that we've experienced. And you've seen that of how people freak out in the moment of uncertainty. And what Paul says in this moment, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And some of you are sitting here and saying, Sean, you said it at the beginning. I know what you're gonna say. You're gonna tell us just to pray more. And for some of you, you're like, I really am gonna set down my Bible and I really am gonna get out of, out of this service and I, I, am, I am gonna walk out on you because here's the deal, I've been praying. Some of you are running into some uncertainty. You've been like, I've been praying and I've been asking and God is not showing up yet in the way I want him to show up. Here's the misunderstanding about this passage. Because he does say, Paul says, in the moments of uncertainty, what we do is we pray and we petition God. He is saying, pray more. But the understanding of how he's saying to pray, it, we're, it's lost on us. We're missing it. He says, present your request to God. Present is an English word that totally misses the mark on the moment. It totally misses the mark. Because the way, way we've done is we've translated from Greek to English to say, here's what these things mean. And sometimes words are just kind of lost in there. They don't have the punch. See, what Paul is actually saying, he's not saying present your request because here's what present your request is. Present your request is like, hey God, I got that meeting tomorrow at nine o'clock. We did this earlier. I got that meeting tomorrow at nine o'clock. It's a tense meeting. Like if I do well on this meeting, this could mean a promotion. If I do poorly on this meeting, it could mean this. So God, would you show up and would you help my boss make the right decision? <laughs> hey, God actually knows the circumstances of your meetings. God actually knows the circumstances surrounding your marriage. God actually knows more than you do the decisions that your kids are making and will make or won't make. He is fully aware of the facts of every situation of your life. Paul doesn't use in the Greek language the word present. He uses the word reveal. And the word reveal in the Greek language is the idea of revealing a mystery. It's revealing a mystery that's just not even, it's hard to understand. It's not even known. And what he's saying in that moment is he's saying, man, in every single situation, don't be anxious. Don't put your effort and your energy toward things you can't control. Put your effort and energy toward understanding what the deeper fears are that you have in every single situation in life and giving them to God. Because what what Jesus is saying, what Paul's actually saying in this moment is he's saying, you know what we do is we live a whole lot of life like this. We grab on and we say, God, I want you to show up in this situation. Here's what I need. Here's the facts of the situation. And if you would do this, it would change the facts in my direction and it'll be good. And God says, man, I'm not working that way because I got a much bigger plan. So here's all I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go from this toward this, not with your hands, but with your heart. And what he's saying with reveal is he's saying, take the facts of the situation, let's push them aside. When it comes to your marriage, what are you really afraid about? And when we start digging into what we're really afraid about in that relationship and saying, man, if that person leaves, I'm gonna be alone. I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of expressing my feelings to that person because I'm afraid they will reject them. In my job, I'm afraid that if I don't get this promotion, I don't know what this means on the leadership track for this job. And I'm afraid of how I'm gonna be seen by my peers. I'm afraid that I'm gonna lose this job. And if there's anything, security's at the heart of this issue. With my kids, 
You may have kids that are in college or beyond college and you're going, God, I am afraid that if they make this decision or if this conversation or confrontation doesn't go well, I'm afraid they're out and I'm afraid I won't see my kids or my grandkids again. That's getting somewhere. And what Paul is saying is present, not present, but reveal your deepest fears with, some, with God. I'll be honest with you. I've sat in a counselor's office. I've got a great counselor that I've met with um, so many times. And we've sat down. There's been moments where we've, we've got through the facts. And he's like, Sean, just put the facts aside for a second. How do you really feel? And there's moments where there's been tears in that office where I've shared how I really feel and what I'm really afraid of. And there's moments where I share that. I didn't even know I felt that. And he looks at me and he says, now we're getting somewhere. And there are moments with all of us where you say, God, here's the facts. And he's saying, no, give me the heart. He said, I got the facts taken care of. What I want is I want you to give me your heart and say to me, the prayer is just simply, God, I'm afraid of this. And God, I'm afraid that if this happens, I'm afraid this will be the result and this is what I'm gonna experience or this is what my kids or my spouse or what's gonna happen with my business. I'm afraid of those things. And Paul goes on and he says, when you do that, there's a promise that happens. He says, we reveal our requests, our needs, our hopes, our fears to God. And then he says, he goes on and he says, and the peace of God, the wholeness of God, the healing of God, that's what that word means, wholeness and healing, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? Paul's sitting next to a couple of Roman soldiers when he's writing this and he's like, eh, that's a good illustration. The peace of God will stand guard, not over your situation, because that's, that's what we want. We're always saying, God, here's the facts. And would you stand guard over my job? Would you stand guard over my relationship? Would you stand guard over my kids and this decision they'll make? And he's saying, no, no, no. What I'm doing right now is I got plans for that. I am standing guard. If you'll give it to me, I'm gonna stand guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So how are you living today? You running around, scurrying around and expending so much energy going, I got it, I got it. Or are you just honest and saying, I don't got it. I don't have it. And we go like this. And we go like this. And we say, God, here's my heart. Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I'm afraid is gonna happen. And would you just, Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, he says and offers to his disciples and he offers to us, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. There's a lot of uncertainty out there and there's a lot of uncertainty in here. Some of you are sitting there saying, man, it's a good time. It's a good time of life. Well, just understand, we said at the beginning of this series, we said you're either going into a time of uncertainty, you're in the middle of a time of uncertainty, or you're coming out of a time of uncertainty. For me, my family, it's, it's, it's not a crazy story. We're coming out of a time of a little bit of uncertainty. And I tell you, I spent a whole lot of time freaking out and looking at God saying, you know the facts of my situation, would you help out? <laughs> and I've told you a hundred times up here on the stage that he had a better story. And he's like, if you just turn it over and what we've got to, when I say we've got to, it's not my wife and I, not my kids and I, it's what God and I have got to. 
well, we've come to this understanding or what I've come to this understanding. I got this issue with control and I keep living like this. And he keeps saying, give me your fears of letting go of control and just watch what I'm doing. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary. Uncertainty is exhausting. Come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. He wants to give you rest. And the question will be is, are you willing to go from this to this? I want you in the Fred room, I just want you to stand up. And in the Niwot room, I want you to stand up. And at home, you can do what you want. If you're online, you can stand up if you want. You may be in the car, you may be sitting in a coffee shop watching this, wherever. But wherever you are, I just want you to take your hands and stick them out like this. This is how we live. And I just want you to do this. Sometimes our body, it's almost like our body needs to tell our heart and our emotions what it needs to understand. And God is saying to us, if you would just reveal your deepest, most insecurities and fears to me and live this way and give those, now we're getting somewhere. And the peace that I have to offer that nobody else can understand, the peace that people are gonna come to you in the midst of your insecurity and craziness in life, they're gonna say, hey, did your situation change? Because you look so much better. You can be like, no. <laughs> Some of you can be like, no, it got worse. And they're gonna be like, well, what happened? He said, well, I've just been let go. I've been learning to trust God. And he's been giving me some peace in the midst of really difficult times. I would appreciate if you pray for me, but I got peace. I'm just gonna pray over you. And I would say this, I'm gonna pray over you today. And if you have that thing that you know that you're afraid of, that you're uncertain about, I would encourage you in the midst of that prayer just to give it to God. But I'd also encourage you, if you can't pray today, if you're like, I'm done, because I'm angry at God or I'm frustrated or I don't even know what to pray. Or I don't know how to pray. We have prayer teams right up here after service, both campuses. And you just come up and somebody will do the work for you and pray over you. But right now, both campuses, man, let's just bow our heads and let's ask God to take our fears and give us peace. Father, we realize today that in the midst of uncertainty, what you are asking us to do is pray until the peace comes. We recognize you don't work on our timetable, but we actually realize that you write bigger and better stories than we could ever write. And so God, we give you our situations, we give you our issues, but most of all, we wanna give you our deepest fears. And Father, I pray we do some heart work this week. I pray that some of us would sit down and really ask the question, what am I afraid of? And what am I afraid is gonna happen? And we just pray those prayers and say, God, here it is. Pray there be some healing. I pray there be some encouragement. I pray there might even be some tears with someone else that we share with. I pray there might even be some of us that share this with someone else that's saying, man, I need that too. Might lead to a conversation. But for all of us, Father, I pray that we will understand that your peace is available for us if we'll just open up to you. And so God, right now, in just an act of submission to you, we just place our fears before you. And we pray that you would replace them with your peace. And Father, on Tuesday, when we don't feel your peace, I pray we do it again. And on Wednesday and on Thursday and every moment this week that we feel, I pray we turn to you and we just even say the words, rejoice in the Lord always and realign our hearts to what is true. God, you are, you're the power of all creation. You are the power of the resurrection. You are the power that has forgiven us and given us an eternity with you. Help us to remember that that is available to us. 
God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus who made it all possible. Help us live with renewed certainty in the midst of an uncertain world this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. 